0: We had a little break from the book of Acts. We are back in the book of Acts today in chapter 17. So take a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 17. We're gonna deal with the first 15 verses today. We will save Athens for a sermon on its own. You can see the map up there. Maybe you have maps in your Bible. And this is Paul's second missionary journey that we're talking about and um, he's been in Philippi we're going to Thessalonica and Berea today and in a few weeks we will be in Athens wouldn't you love to visit Greece uh, just getting on the internet and seeing these places kind of is a great thing to do when it's raining and cold outside Let's, uh, let's pray before we get into God's Word. Gracious God, we thank you for your Holy Word. It is the Word of God, and I pray that we'll be able to understand a little bit of what that means this morning. So Lord, may we, be, may we listen, may we apply through the Holy Spirit to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now remember, when we talk about Thessalonica, that there are two books in the New Testament called 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So we might possibly look at a few verses in those books a little bit later. But as we get to our scripture here in chapter 17, it says, When they, that's Paul and Silas, at least Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, this is something that we have seen as a recurring theme in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul, even though he's commissioned to reach the Gentiles with the good news of Jesus, Often the way he will do that is through a Jewish synagogue. In Philippi, there wasn't one. But where did they go? To the riverside. That's the substitute if there is no synagogue. But here there is a Jewish synagogue. And in that Jewish synagogue, obviously you would have Jewish people and you would have some non-Jewish people too. So Paul would go there on a regular basis, it says as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now we know that he was in Thessalonica longer than three Sabbath days, but we don't fret about things like that because Luke is being very selective in what he is telling us. as as we go through um, basically as you read anything in the Bible you should always be asking yourself that question what why has this been selected why is this story here you may not always know the answer to that maybe some of the answers to that we will never understand until we meet Jesus face to face but it is still a good question to ask you always want to be questioning the scriptures Uh, Not in a way to try and find some flaws, but in a way to be saying to yourself, why was this book written? What is the main message of this book? Uh, Why did Luke, for example, include that here? He's very selective in his material. Why is he selecting and laying this kind of emphasis? So I I want you to think of that question as we go through this message this morning. As... Most of you are Sabbath keepers. We don't think it's at all unusual for a Jewish man, a Jewish Christian man, to be preaching on the Sabbath. That's what I'm doing today, right? There was no first day worship at this point in time. So as far as the New Testament is concerned, you can pretty much write off first day worship. Where we see that is early 2nd century and onwards. It's just simply not a biblical issue. So three Sabbaths, what is he doing? In this translation, it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, why does Luke include that? I think there's a number of reasons that are going to be very important to this message this morning. The Word of God has to go. Jesus even says, hey, if these children and women and people don't proclaim Hosanna, the stones will do it. And I don't think he was just being humorous there. God will have a witness somehow, some way. Now, of course, the greatest witness is when the Lord Jesus Christ himself came because Jesus says, when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. If you kind of like what you see about Jesus, you will really like God the Father and no doubt God the Holy Spirit too. But, But Jesus had lived He had died, as we are emphasizing um, in the next few days. He rose from the dead, right? That's a very, very big, important theme in the New Testament. And somebody has to tell people what had happened. And so he raises up believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, to do that very thing. And I don't know how you feel about us spending three months um, in our Sabbath school time talking about how to get the message out. But it seems to me that many of us here in North America and in certainly in Europe where I come from have a tough time sometimes in figuring out what is the best way of doing that but a witness God will have his word will go forth and the word is primarily focused on Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Those are the main emphasis and I'm sure there was a time to talk about Jesus as being glorified because you really can't separate the resurrection from the cross You can't separate the resurrection from the ascension when he was glorified in heaven and as we were singing just a few moments ago a big emphasis especially in the book of Thessalonians on the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ so these are basic ingredients as I said last week in our communion service and and it is worth taking the time and analyzing the messages of Peter, the messages of Paul in a book like Acts to see if those basic ingredients are, are there. And even in places where Paul would say, like in Corinth, where he says, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Don't interpret that to think he did not preach on the resurrection in Corinth. He has to preach on the resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important? Why is it so important? Because it's the only thing that tells us that Jesus' death was acceptable to God. The future of the the whole human race hung on that resurrection. So Paul will say in other places, such as in Romans, the end of Romans chapter 4, for example, he will talk of us being justified by by the resurrection of Christ. Now, it's very rare that we talk about the resurrection of Christ as our justification. We always talk of the cross as our justification. But these two events, yes, we separate them in time, though they were very close together in time, we certainly separate them in our minds so we can kind of grasp some of these ideas. But in reality, they are one no resurrection nobody would know the significance of the death of the lord jesus christ with a resurrection god's stamp of approval upon his death for the human race resurrection very very important teaching have you ever studied the resurrection in the old testament you could put on one hand how many clear texts there are in the Old Testament on resurrection. In the New Testament, it is is just all over the place. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself had been resurrected from the dead. So if ever you're in any, any discussion, debate with people about things like the secret rapture, what happens when we die, immortality and all of those kinds of things you can cut right through it and say hey clearly the emphasis in the New Testament is on the resurrection and sometimes you can just leave it at that so the resurrection of course very very important now here notice Paul's method it's significant that this kind of language is used here, and I don't want us to just skip over it. All of us should have a method on how we testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice Paul's method a little bit this morning, and think if there's some way that you can incorporate it into your witness okay so for three Sabbaths what did he do in this translation it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures now with a Jewish audience you'd pretty much expect that wouldn't you if you know anything about Jewish history and and what we read about them in the Old Testament big big emphasis on the Bible have you ever been in a Jewish synagogue or i was in israel in jerusalem once where people were at the wailing wall with their prayers and some of them sticking them into the cracks in 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 the stones there and i saw this building to the side and i kind of a nosy person that i am i kind of snuck off from the group and and went in there and i'm glad that i did because in that room i i saw the place where they kept the scrolls and then to see how carefully they take this old testament scroll this jewish scroll it's like very very special very sacred to them and then of course eventually somebody will open it up and will read from that so we would expect someone like paul to be reasoning or at least using the scriptures but would we expect him to reason from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer you see the way Christianity is as most of us know it is well I believe in Jesus well good for you where's the evidence here we're seeing the evidence no he's not Luke is not telling us all the text that Paul used he's not giving us a full picture of that but he is using loaded words here like reasoning appealing explaining proving now proving uh, that's a word i don't use very much because people tend to pounce on you when you use the prove word we can prove creation we can prove evolution really get out there and try it with people who maybe know a little bit more than you do and see where you get but the evidence yes i feel comfortable with that because after all that's what you're trying to do is it not just to present the evidence jesus said if you can't believe these these amazing teachings of mine believe me for the miracles There's the evidence. The man is blind, now he sees. He could not walk, now he walks. Who's doing this? God is doing this. Who's he doing it through? He's doing it through me. I'm the Messiah. So here Paul is reasoning, he's explaining, he's proving that the Christ, which is another term, it means the anointed one, is the Messiah. That's the point. This is something that the Jews and probably lots of non-Jews had been looking forward to. Lots of different ideas on the Messiah in the first century. Sometimes the rabbis would talk about two messiahs. They'd see perhaps some evidence for for a suffering messiah. They certainly would see lots of evidence for a victorious, military, triumphant messiah. So maybe they'd come up with the idea of two messiahs we don't believe that do we we believe in one Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ but two sides of the coin first century a suffering Messiah who ultimately would pay the supreme penalty of death for the human race but would rise from the dead so death had been conquered that's the significance or one of the most important points about the resurrection Everything that was under the law, Satan, and death has now been dealt with at the cross. As I said last week, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are transferred out of that realm into another realm. Where there was death in the old realm, now there is life. Not just abundant life, but eternal life. You you are allowed to say hallelujah at this point. (laughs) Because that's the appropriate response. Where there was sin in the old realm, that's where some of us, all of us used to be, right? And I know some of you struggle with that if you are goody two-shoes brought up in a Seventh-day Adventist home but you have to, come to it, you have to face this reality at some point in your life. Christ saves us from sin and he brings us to righteousness. Yes. So you see this transfer. Old stuff is done away with and that's why it's such a poor way of living your Christian life if you're focusing all the time on your imperfections. God in his wisdom has chosen to not change your body and the tendencies of your body towards sin. He has chosen not to change that until when? Until Jesus Christ returns or until you die physically. Yes, we are encouraged to rise above these things. Yes, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to live above these things. But it's where you lay your focus that will determine the kind of Christian that you become. So if the focus is laid on Jesus, on the Jesus of the resurrection, the one who has brought us from the old life into the new life, there is little time to dwell Upon your imperfections dwell on your imperfections and the focus is all wrong Satan has you where he wants yes I know he can't take your salvation away but he can make you what? a sadventist and not a gladventist the only way to possibly be a gladventist is to focus on Jesus specifically on what? well you can focus on his perfect life for you i'm sure paul preached a lot on the life of jesus most of these people would know nothing of where jesus was born or anything about his life yeah they've heard rumors uh, they've heard they've heard secondhand things but they weren't necessarily there in jerusalem to see these things to hear about these things to know about from the apostles so they're getting this message first time so i'm sure that paul must have chosen specific things in the life of jesus to at least show he was a perfect messiah and then of course spending a lot of time on the death of christ the significance of that and then of course this emphasis on the resurrection and sometimes and we'll see this when we go to the message on athens as soon as the word resurrection was mentioned you get division of course some believed it Many did not believe it. And in in some of these places in Greece where they were high on philosophy, philosophizing, that's not our business to philosophize. I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but our primary business is to expound the Scriptures. The The Scriptures are clear enough to lead a man to salvation. So here's a method that Paul used all the time through his ministry. You'll never understand a book like Galatians, a book like Romans, unless you can understand that this man is reasoning things out. He is, he is laying his argument. In a sense, he's like a lawyer, a good lawyer, who can win the case in court. I mean, what's the, what's, what's the lawyer to do? To walk into court? Well, he's good looking. He's got a thousand dollar suit on and he just puts his hands in his pockets and he says judge jury my client is innocent let him off does it work that way he has to reason his case it's not about what he looks like or what he sounds like yeah that might be icing on the cake but that's not where the action is the action is when he he reasons his case out he lays the evidence out there to convince the judge or the jury That the client is innocent. That's what Paul is doing when he talks of the cross and the resurrection. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. All right, what kind of reaction did he get? First, Luke tells us of a positive reaction. Some of the Jews were persuaded And joined Paul and Silas, verse 4, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Now, if I was a lady listening to this, this proclamation of the word of God, I would want to know, why does Luke emphasize women? See, that's something you could easily skip over. But it's included for a reason. And it's not the first time Luke, Luke is specially liked by women. He was a doctor. He was a historian. I mean, I'm not saying women like him because of a historian. But he has many references to females in his writings, in the gospel of Luke, in the book of Acts. Here we're seeing one example of it. I don't know what hope women had in Greek society. Maybe they were on the bottom rung of the ladder. Maybe it was all about men. But here we find that prominent women, influential women, some translations might have honorable women, are believing in the gospel. Now, there could be many reasons why Luke does that. Perhaps these women who come to believe, maybe they have an important part in the work of spreading the gospel. So maybe this can be like a little introduction. Dropping some hints here. We don't know, but it's there. And of course, the fact that these non-Jews would respond was very, very important in this part of the world. But notice the negative. But the Jews were jealous, so what's new? So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Now when Karen is asking me for titles of sermons, I was very tempted to put in rent a mob. But I thought, no, that's not really what the emphasis that Luke is trying to give. But it is catchy, don't you think so? Rent a mob. I also had another one about um, a bucket with with no bottom. But I thought that would just confuse everybody if if I use that one. So we went with Noble Berea as the title of this sermon. But we haven't got to Berea yet. But here's the negative reaction, Jews were jealous, they rounded up the bad characters, they formed a mob, they started a riot in the city. If you cannot refute someone's arguing, argument, then beat up on them if you can. So they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Now poor Paul and Silas have been really, um, Paul especially, beaten up in Philippi. Do you remember that? When we talked about that a few weeks ago. So his body is still hurting, he doesn't need any, any more of that stuff. So they couldn't find them, verse six says. They dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting these men, they've caused trouble all over the world. Wow, you're talking about exaggeration. All over the world. And now they've come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house and they're all defying Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Poor Jason, he's in big trouble because he is hosting people like Paul and Silas. And it tells me that the message of the gospel, if it's presented correctly, is a powerful and in many ways a a decisive um, message, a message that can divide people, a divisive, that's the word I was looking for, a divisive message. Do you remember when Jesus was here? He says, don't be surprised if, if mother, father, or son, or daughter go against you because you follow Jesus, because you believe in this stuff. Satan, we're in a warfare. Satan is is on the attack. And, And all the warning, all the red flags go off in Satan's head. Does he have a head? I don't know. But all the red flags go off when somebody comes in and proclaims the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're finding here. We've found it many times in the book of Acts. This persecution, this tribulation, this suffering... Praise God, it didn't really fall on Paul and Silas on this occasion. They were trying to take it out on Jason. But the point is, they have to move on. The seed has been planted. It kind of looks a little bit negative when I read these verses. But, but remember, on the positive side, First and Second Thessalonians. Let me show you from that book how positive it can be. We were talking earlier this morning about planting seed in our witness, and Anne Anne McLean mentioned about uh, we never know down the road what kind of seed can be born. So we have seen some positive response uh, in a few verses to the witness of Paul in, um, in Thessalonica here. Now I want to take you to the actual books. 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Does anybody have the page reference from the Bible in the pew? No? Okay. 1 Thessalonians. 1837, if you're using the pew Bible. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. Now remember, this is a new group that Paul had planted the seed. Would he be the one to pastor them? Would he be the one to nurture them? No, only through letter. He was there a reasonably short period of time and had to move on. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like Paul to write that about you? Absolutely. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you. Now, we have just read about this gospel that Paul proclaimed. So here he's talking about that. Came to you not simply with words, but with power. What kind of power? No miracles are mentioned here, but conversions are mentioned, right? Not a few believe these Greek men, these, these Greek women, these Jews, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So, Anderson Church, you are a model for all the sister churches. Wouldn't that be a great thing to hear? The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols. So these were idolaters, not the Jewish ones, but the Greeks were to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. See how he gets the resurrection in? Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So, not all negative in Thessalonica. Now we go on to super positive in Berea. As soon as it was night, verse 10, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Same, similar setup. Jewish synagogue in both cities, I assume similar message by Paul, but a very different response. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So here we don't just have three Sabbaths, we have an investigation of the Scripture every single day. Now, as a pastor of this church family, what do you think would be more pleasing to me? To hear the word proclaimed and you go out and I don't have a clue if you do anything with it. Not a clue. Unless you tell me, I don't have a clue. And that's where the the bucket with the hole in it comes in. (laughs) Because as I was reading, it's amazing what I come across as I was reading, but one of the things I read was by a man called Thomas (laughs) Shepard. And he said, my mind is a bucket without a bottom. My mind is a bucket without a bottom. I'm sure it would have made a great children's story, Carla, To bring a bucket into church, pour water into it, and see it just going everywhere. Or saying, we're going to bring a bucket into church with no bottom in it, and we're going to try and get it through those doors before it empties. The idea that's behind it, and the reason that it's probably been said, is because often we hear the word proclaimed, and it just goes in and dissipates. that shouldn't be and that was not the case here in Berea and that's why this kind of emphasis is led by Luke Luke wants us to know how we should respond when the Word of God is preached or taught or lectured or whatever we do with it how should we respond to that what is the right response what is the perfect response to that well what does it say here It says the Bereans were more noble. They received the message with great eagerness. Is that how you respond to the preaching of the word, to the gospel, to the scriptures? And they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Were they skeptical people? Maybe. Is that all bad? Apparently not. Was Paul a powerful preacher? What do you think about that? You know, there are places where it's specifically said that Apollos was a powerful man with the Word of God. Yes, he had some things to learn, but he had obviously an ability to explain and to preach and to teach the Word of God. But Paul was no slouch. I have the highest opinion of Paul, not just intellectually or spiritually, But also in the gifts that he had and i'm sure that he was a powerful powerful preacher but is that enough is it enough just to hear the preacher or can you cut through that and say whether it be a good sermon or a bad sermon should sometimes we just say there are no bad sermons because after all it is the word of god that is going forth but how should we listen to that how should we respond to that Do we hear God in the message? Do we believe that God is actually speaking through the preacher, through the Scripture? I'm not sure if we all believe that. And if we did believe it, then there should be a great eagerness, there should be an examination. We're not just going to believe it because you're a great preacher. Or because you're famous or you're well known we're gonna check it out for ourselves I wish that every Seventh-day Adventist would do that not just get excited but would do the work that is involved in knowing that something is true when I think back on I'm thinking of writing a book on my uh, experiences especially when I got saved and um whether I ever do that or not, I think I need to do that. But, but how do you approach it? Because there's many, many ways of explaining it. One of the ways that I should explain it that sticks in my mind very clearly is what is the truth? How do you know? I mean, I could be in a discotheque trying to pick up a woman. Cecil, is she here this morning? She doesn't need to hear this but I'd be there with the music going and and the liquor there and the alcohol and all that kind of stuff. Those of you that have been in discos and bars know what I'm talking about. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, but I wasn't saved, I wasn't converted for sure, but God's Spirit was working on me. And I'd be thinking, you know, this is a big con. Everyone's trying to con everyone. And the smartest guy is the one that owns this place. And he's taking my money. And all that kind of stuff would go through my head. And I tell you, in in my own weird way, this was a quest of searching for God. Or it was, maybe a better way, it was God working in my mind, drawing me away from these things. And, And one of the first things in doing that is to question it. Question it. Now, when I look back on the life I used to live I mean I'm horrified it is not just shameful some of the things that I did it to me it's mind-boggling that I would even think about doing those things I mean you think you know something of my past life you don't know a fraction and that's probably good you might be looking for another pastor if you really knew what was going on but The questioning, the probing, the examining obviously is a big thing to Luke. He's hearing many accounts of the life of the Lord Jesus, but he's doing the work to write the book of Acts and get it right. Well, it says that these Bereans were what? They were noble, noble. I don't know why it says noble character here. In the Greek, it just says they were noble. It's a nice word that we don't use very often. Because they did the right thing. They received the message. They were eager. They examined it every day to see if it was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women. There it is again. And many Greek men. So there's the positive response. It's an example for all of us. It's not just revival and reformation, Acts chapter 2 as an example for us, or the Great Reformation and Revival with Cornelius, great example for us. But this painstaking, probing, examining should be a part of all of our lives. And if, you, if you've kind of got tired of the Bible you're using, then jazz it up a little bit. Get another translation. I saw one of our members, uh, I think it was Russ, come in with a big, thick Bible a couple of weeks ago. ESV it had on it. And that's a translation that I was, a Bible that I was thinking of buying myself. It says, how do you like it? It says, really good. Kind of got excited about it. That's the way it should be with the Bible. If you're bored with the Bible and you're bored with the word of God, watch out. That's a scary thing. Ask God to change you in the way that you respond to these things. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds, stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So we will end up... In Athens next time we meet I don't believe it's acceptable that any one of us has a mind like a bucket without a bottom it's a graphic way of putting it isn't it we should be open flexible to whatever God's voice says as it comes through in the preaching, the teaching, or the reading of the word of God. Don't be like those negative Jews who are jealous. Prejudice, old ways, customs of doing things. There's lots of baggage that can get in the way. God wants us to be open-minded, but not naive, right? So we have the example of the Bereans. They listened, they responded, but they checked everything out to make sure it is so. And today we have tremendous resources to help us. Of course, the most important is to have the Holy Spirit in your life and to just say, Lord, here's a passage I don't understand. Is there anything wrong in doing that? Is there anything wrong with admitting your ignorance to the almighty God? But i want to understand it's your word i need to understand it don't be surprised if the holy spirit gives you understanding but be aware of what the tools are what the resources are out there check translation with translation most most of us don't know hebrew most of us don't know greek you can still have a powerful experience in the word of god whether you know those things or not. Be like the noble Bereans. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. Of course, we thank you for what your Spirit did in the lives of Paul and Silas and Timothy and others in the book of Acts. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, too. We praise you and we thank you for that. But Lord, we want to be strong, powerful Christians, and we have this example of these noble Bereans who listened, who searched, and eventually embraced the truth in your Word. Help us to do the same thing. Let's not rest on our laurels, but always be learning. And when new light comes, may we embrace it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.